Disney fans! This week we're celebrating 60 years of the X-Men with Marvel Comics editor Jordan D. White. We'll be talking about the history and creative legacy of Marvel's mutants across six incredible decades, from their beginnings as the original five to their present era in the Krakoan age. I'm Hunter. And I'm Courtney. And I'm Lisa. And this is D23 Inside Disney. Okay, I'm really excited about today's episode because I grew up loving comic books. I was that kid who, when you were at the checkout stand, I was like, I want that one, I want that one. (laughs) But that's just me. I love how comic books have translated into movies. Do you remember the first time you encountered the X-Men particularly? Was it in a comic or on the big screen? For me, definitely the movie, big screen. I think the first X-Men movie was the first movie I ever saw in theaters in 2000. Whoa. Yeah, I think I was four years old at the time. And I just like, I'm like, oh my gosh, I think this is the first, my first theatrical experience. So yeah, me and the X-Men, we go way back. Way back. (laughs) 23 years. You're all (laughs) friends. I love it so much. Very cool. Fun fact for you both. The original five X-Men first appeared in Uncanny X-Men from 1963, issue number one which was released on September 1st, 1963, in which telepath Charles Xavier accepted his first students, Cyclops, Iceman, Angel, Beast, and Marvel Girl. Cyclops, Iceman, Angel, Beast, these are some of my favorite X-Men. That's amazing that they've been around so long. If either of you were to have an X-Men style ability, what would it be and why? Oh, man. I would love to have Wolverine's really sharp claws. I can just tear through walls like... The aggressive side of me comes out. <laughs> I'd love that just to open packages that I'm getting, you know. I can never find scissors. <laughs> what about you, Lisa? Okay, am I right in this? Can't Storm fly? Yes. I think I would definitely want to fly. I want to get there, you know? Like, let's just warp speed there. Fly me there. You want I'm... the white hair and the white eyes to go with the ability to fly? I think I'd want to rock it. I'd want to <laughs> test it out. I'd want to try the powers first. (laughs) You would rock that look. That sounds awesome. I'm like you. I want to get there too. Here's how I'm getting there. Quicksilver's powers. I'm running. Oh, yeah. And I I think I said this when we talked about Marvel superpowers before. I wanted to be Doctor Strange so I could go from Disney Park to Disney Park. Same thing applies here. I could get a lightning lane for living with the land and then get a (laughs) lightning lane for Radiator Springs Racers. Like, And nobody will know what's up. It'll be great. That's like two totally into the spectrum. Living with the land and Radiator Springs Racer. <laughs> <laughs> it is. So speaking of X-Men, every year in the world of the X-Men, Mutant Kind invites fellow mutants as well as the outside world to an unforgettable celebration on the island of Krakoa called the Hellfire Gala. And this year, D23 held the first ever real-life Hellfire Gala in San Diego, California. You can check out images from the events and at d23.com. And I was there. It was incredible. It was one of the best events I've ever been to. And I'm not just saying that. That sounds really cool. The photos looked awesome. That's so cool that you got to go. So many great cosplayers, so many cool costumes and like great music and stuff too. Wait, did you dress up too? Okay, I'll be honest. I thought this would be so funny. I showed up in a t-shirt that was like Quicksilver, like the brand Quicksilver. And (laughs) I felt extremely underdressed. So there was a Ross down the street. I ran to it and just put on like a nice shirt because it's a gala. Everybody's like dressed up. So a t-shirt didn't really work. So yeah, no, (laughs) I was an X-Men in disguise, I guess, as a human. So I don't know, Hunter, you went from Quicksilver to quick change. So that could have been your superpower that you've realized in the moment. Wow. Talk about quick, Lisa. That was quick. (laughs) 
All right. So I'm going to hit you guys with a little bit of X-Men trivia if you are ready for it. Let's do it. Yeah. All right. So who was the very first enemy the X-Men ever encountered? Was it A, Blob, B, Juggernaut, C, Magneto, or D, Mastermind? Okay. Well, I love Blob as an option, but I'm going to go with Magneto. I feel like I remember that name, hearing that a lot when I was growing up as a kid watching X-Men. Hunter? Um, I'm going to go with Juggernaut, and that's okay. just a pure guess. Okay. Well, ding, ding, ding. Lisa is the winner. It's no wonder Magneto was the first in a long line of enemies, as he and Charles Xavier are close friends with a very complicated history. Hmm, that they are. Ooh, okay, on to the next one. What metal alloy has Wolverine's skeleton been reinforced with? A, titanium. B, vanadium. C, electrum. D, adamantium. I know Captain America's shield is vibranium, but that's not even one of the options. So I'm pretty sure I remember seeing all the way back in 2000, it was adamantium, I think. Mm. I'm going to go with titanium because that's the only one I can pronounce. <laughs> I respect that, Courtney, so much. Hunter, this one goes to you. Adamantium is a fictional alloy that can even withstand a nuclear blast. Wow. Wow. Glad I was paying attention all those years ago. <laughs> it's all led to this. Well, if there's anyone who can speak to both the history of the X-Men during this amazing 60th year and to their future, it's Jordan D. White, a longtime Marvel Comics editor who's been overseeing the X-Men since 2018. The story of the X-Men is so intriguing and where they're headed is equally as fascinating. So why don't we get right into it? Without further ado, let's chat with Marvel Comics' Jordan White. Thank you for joining us, Jordan. Stan Lee and Jack Kirby created these beloved characters back in 1963, which means this year we're celebrating 60 years of X-Men. Uh, let me ask, when did they come into your life and how did you come to start reading the comics? Comics as a whole, like Marvel comics as a whole, especially, I have known my entire life. Like I don't remember a time when I wasn't reading Marvel comics of some sort. The earliest ones I remember are certainly Spider-Man, but I was the kind of kid who... You know, this was back when the newsstand was a thing. They would, there would be comics at whatever local convenience store, any corner store you'd go to. I was a kid who, if we went anywhere near any store like that, I'd be like, can I get a comic? Will you get me a comic to any person I was with? So I would read anything. I would read any book. And Marvel was always my favorite, but I would read anything. So there are certainly X books that I grabbed off the rack at that time. Although I wasn't a regular X-Men reader. I was just someone who knew what they were in general and knew the characters and we didn't have wikis back then i bought a very early very very early marvel role-playing game that had like character guide in it and so i would learn all the histories of the characters that way very randomly i became an avid x reader when i discovered the team excalibur which was kind of a nutty side team that claremont did with uh, chris claremont who if you don't know redefined what the x-men were in the 70s, in the early 80s, did a spin-off book called Excalibur, where it was a couple of fan-favorite X-Men off in England with a couple of British characters, Captain Britain and Megan. And it was a little bit, I don't know, I want to say it's more of a lighthearted book because they, they have a little bit more fun, but they also have a lot of, you know, serious things and people die and stuff. So it's still a weighty comic and a good read, but that's the one that got me hooked. And then, like I said, some of those characters were fan favorites, Nightcrawler, Kitty Pride, Rachel Summers. So 
I followed them back to X-Men in both directions forward as they went back to X-Men and also into the past where I go like, where did these characters come from? Can I read their old X appearances? That's how I got into the kind of classic Claremont run. But I will admit, even though I was periodically checking out trades and collected editions of X-Men, I didn't become an avid regular reader, like every month, month in every single issue reader of X-Men until the Grant Morrison run in the early 2000s. X-Men would just be something I would check in with once in a while to see like the big stories. But when the Grant Morrison new X-Men book started, I was hooked. Absolutely. And I started buying, I ended up buying the entire line uh, across the board. This was before I worked at Marvel, maybe five years before I got my job at Marvel. I started reading the whole line of X-Men and absolutely fell in love with it and have been reading it pretty much ever since. These characters are so amazing and it's great hearing from you, a true, true X-Men fan. How many mutant titles fall under the X-Men banner today? Oh, a bunch. (laughs) Let's yeah. see. Let me think about this. X-Men, Wolverine, X-Force, Immortal X-Men, X-Men Red. That's five ongoings off the top of my head. But on and off, we've had over the last couple of years, we've had an Excalibur. We've had a New Mutants. We've had a couple of books, that Legion of X and Way of X. We've had an X-Factor book since the beginning of what we're calling the Krakoan era, the last uh, four or five years since the House of X and Powers of Ten. We always have some new things popping up and happening, whether they be some miniseries or new ongoings all the time. It's very difficult to say. I mean, unfortunately, back in the day, it was a little easier because it was much more likely for books to get hundreds of issue runs in a row. Nowadays, things tend to go through a cycle of renumbering more regularly than that. So, you know, the X-Men book we have right now is up currently to issue 24 with issue 25 coming out in, in two days from when we're recording this anyway. They've had more than 25 issues since the beginning of the Krakoan era, because there was a 21 issue run before that. And so it's kind of complicated at this point, but there's always, I would say a good, you know, between 10 and 15 books that come out from the X office every month, some ongoing, some miniseries, some specials and whatnot. So if there's an easy way to answer this, how does the creative process work in terms of your role as an editor? How do you work with the writers and the artists to see a comic or a storyline through to completion the best way possible? That's a great question. Yeah, a lot of people, even big comic fans, don't necessarily know quite what the role of an editor is. The quickest version way to explain it is to just say, we're responsible for making sure that a book goes to press when it needs to, and that it's as high quality as possible when it does that. A slightly longer version for something to compare it to. I'm like the showrunner, right, of each of the comic series I work on, let's say. And I will, yeah, reach out to a writer, hire them to be the writer on the comic. I tend not to try to give them a story, like go like, here's the story I need you to do. I tend to go to them and say, what are you interested in doing a story about? They'll come to me. They'll say, here's what it is. We'll brainstorm that together. They'll go off, write a script, send a script into me. I'll give them notes on that back and forth to make sure it reads as well as it can. Once we've got that worked out, I pass that along to an artist that I've hired in the interim. Somebody whose style feels like it'll work well with the tone and the feel of what the writer is going for. I give the artist the script. They'll work on that. Your average comic book artist takes about six weeks to do an entire comic worth of art. So as they're finishing pages, they're sending them in to me and I'm getting each page. We'll check it against the script. We'll give any notes we have on that. As the pages come in, we get them all set up technically. I will say 
in the old days, everybody making comics lived in New York and people would be like physically handing comic book art to each other. That doesn't happen anymore. We're all through the entire world. Everything is through email and such. So we just get electronic files come in, they get all set up. And then we pass those electronic files off simultaneously to a color artist who colors over the inks and a letterer who takes the script from the, the writer and actually you know lays the words out onto the page. As the book goes to press, we bring those two things together, put them into one package, check it over in a PDF, make sure everything reads well, give it back to the writer so they can give any notes they've got on it as well. And we send it to press. It's a pretty fast moving medium. Also a one-shot comic, normal size, from me talking to a writer about the idea to the day it goes to press, could be as little time as three months, depending if we're all like moving as quick as we can. Usually it's a little bit longer than that because we'll have a team doing like, let's say four or five issues in a row. Right. So as a result, we'll have to stretch that back a lot more because like I said, if they come out four weeks apart and it takes six weeks for the artist to draw it, that doesn't work. We have to start much earlier, but yeah, that's it. It's a quick moving medium. And, and I'm doing every single step of that every single day for multiple books. Cause even for one series, even if just for the, the X-Men series on its own, I've got a book going to press this week, let's say I've got another one going a month from now and another one going a month from now. So I'm working on all the different steps for different issues at once and multiple series at once. So it's a very fast pace and very busy, busy job. Three months. <laughs> it's if nuts, you gave me right? three years, I couldn't do that. That's insane. I've always wondered about that process. And it's cool to hear how people can be working on these comics from all around the world. That's so neat. You have overseen X-Men since 2018. What in your mind is the most significant storyline that's happened under your watch? That's certainly easy. It's the one I mentioned before, House of X and Powers of Ten. It was a pair of intertwining miniseries that when you buy the collected edition, it's just sold as House of X. But it was a pair of intertwining miniseries where the writer Jonathan Hickman came in and shook up what the X-Men was to its very core. It's very much still the same X-Men that always existed and that goes all the way back to the 60s. But he took a whole new spin on it and made it revitalized again in a way that we haven't seen in quite some time. It was a really brilliant and epic tale. It puts much more of a sci-fi spin on it. Basically what happens is in the first issue, Professor Xavier has these secret plans that are running behind the scenes that, that you kind of get a hint of, oh, what has he been doing all this time? And he announces to the world psychically, while you have slept, the world has changed. The mutants now have an, a nation called Krakoa, and we can make these medicines that can make everyone's lives better. And we're going to give them to you freely. All you have to do is acknowledge our existence as a nation. And that simple setup fundamentally changed what it meant to be a mutant in the Marvel universe and what kinds of stories we could tell with them. And it's touched every single thing we've done since then. That's so special. I think everything that I'm hearing, it's really about what the characters mean and sometimes what they mean at a given time. Mm -hmm. And what you were saying earlier about Chris Claremont and how he had a lot of meeting in your journey, we pulled this quote and we thought it was really cool. The X-Men are hated, feared, and despised collectively by humanity for no other reason than that they are mutants. So with this mindset, their storylines are reflecting real world American issues. How important is holding that mirror up to society today? Oh, absolutely. Hugely important. It's such an essential part of what makes the X-Men work as a concept. And we talk very frequently about the mutant metaphor. If you look at the history of the X-Men, right, you mentioned Stan and Jack creating them back in the 60s, and they did. But that was a series that really struggled 
to find sales and to catch on with readers, right? So they did create this concept of these are mutants. And as you read through that series, the original run of X-Men back then, you do see the beginnings of these elements of, you know, mutants being hated and feared by the society that they're protecting. But it doesn't 100% come together. It's actually a, a very strange read because you can really see them spinning their wheels trying to go, okay, no, no, that didn't work. Here's what the book is about now. No, no, no. Now the book is about this. There's a part where suddenly the, the X-Men are going to be undercover with the FBI under assumed identities. And that lasts for like a month. And then suddenly it's like, no, 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 it's the book, something else. Now it kind of weaves through a bunch of different concepts so much so that the book eventually is essentially canceled. The book becomes a reprint book for, I forget exactly how many issues, maybe 20 something issues. It's literally just printing old issues of X-Men with a new cover and a new number on, on the front. And it isn't until well, I want to say until Claremont, but really first there was Giant Size X-Men by Len Wein and Dave Cockrum. That one shot changes the makeup of the team of X-Men. And it goes from being, you know, a team of five white kids at a boarding school, basically, to being an international cast, you know, of a, like a, a Russian guy, a German guy, an African woman. All of these different folks are now part of this team. Then Chris Claremont starts writing the series from there. And he wrote it for, I think, a good 20 years. And he even though Stan and Jack created the X-Men, he made the X-Men into the thing that we all fell in love with. That's when the series really gelled and came together as, oh, this is what the X-Men is. And that's when the popularity took off. And that was definitely a big part of what he wanted to talk about in it. You know, in the history of comics, <laughs> comics are an entertainment medium. And in pop culture, it's not always easy to come right out and talk about hot button issues and controversial topics, being able to use the mutant metaphor to do this, to say, we're not talking about literally not talking about real marginalized groups, but we are talking about the experience of mutants who are going through X, Y, and Z allows you to talk about that topic in a way that kind of can get under the radar a bit more. And in an ideal world, even get to people who wouldn't be receptive to hearing that message if you said it more blatantly. And I think that it really did that. And it caught on with a huge number of people as a result of that. I, I guess to this day, we talk always talk about how we're going to be using the mutant metaphor and what it is we're actually talking about when we talk about them. It's, it's hugely important. That mutant metaphor is so powerful. And it's fascinating to see how these characters have changed over the years and the trajectory of the X-Men story has evolved with it. And it's great hearing from you about how that timeline happened. You mentioned Fall of X. This is the month when Fall of X launches. This storyline promises to affect every mutant title at Marvel, right? Absolutely. What can we expect? So I mentioned the nation of Krakoa a, a bit ago, and basically in the years since then, the mutants have been, I don't want to say that everything has been perfect for them. It hasn't. They've been facing still terrible things on all sides, but they've had a lot of strength together through this nation. Unfortunately, their enemies in the form of a group we've created called Orcus have struck back very hard against them in the Hellfire Gala issue that just came out at the end of July. And Basically, it puts them on their back foot again, and it kind of questions whether the nation of Krakoa can even continue past that. And so suddenly mutants go from having a place of their own where they are 
you know, able to, to, like I said, to be together as a community and live well to suddenly being pursued again and not having a place that they belong. And a number of them have been lost and we don't fully know where they are. There's a question of whether they've all died or whether they're somewhere else that we don't quite realize yet. So this obviously has to be in every single book we do, because if the book takes place on earth, then they are wanted fugitives. You know, all of the big X-Men characters are specifically wanted international fugitives, and they need to continue to be heroes, continue to fight back against the people who are trying to make mutants' lives miserable and capture all mutants, and prove that they didn't do the terrible things they've been accused of, which is going to be a pretty big deal. And some books don't take place on Earth. Some books take place elsewhere where you are going to find out a little bit more about what's happening with some of the missing mutants, I'll say. It's a pretty ground... (laughs) upheaving book (laughs) because again we've had kind of a steady base of well at least they have this nation even of course it has its problems all nations have their problems yes there are corrupt people in power but we're going to do our best to stop that and all of these things i think even though we told people fall of x was going to be kind of brutal i don't think our readers had any idea how difficult it was going to be for the mutants for this period Oh, man, I can't wait. This sounds like a, a huge story jordan i think we've crossed paths before i'm not joking you were at Hellfire Gala, thrown by D23. I was. At San Diego Comic-Con. I was there too. What did you think of it? It was amazing. It was amazing. We had such a wonderful time there. I was there with a couple of other editors and a couple of our writers as well. The writer of the current X-Men series, Jerry Duggan, was there. A whole slew of folks. It was so cool. Jerry is the one who came up with doing a Hellfire Gala. We've done one every year for the last three years. He came up with the idea to do it. Basically, that first year, especially, the mutants kind of just went, we're going to throw a giant party. We have this island with an enormous tower on it that we can throw a party in. Let's do this. And it's just going to be a party to show off how awesome we are, essentially. Yeah, Yeah, just an excuse for us uh, behind the scenes to have all the mutants designed into new, crazy, high fashion versions of their costumes and new looks entirely. And in world for, yes, for mutants to just go, yes, guess what? We are amazing. And so much so that the first one, literally they have this party and they go uh, on the agenda for the night. It's like, at this time, there's going to be fireworks. And they go, it's time for the fireworks, everyone. But then they reveal that the fireworks was actually code for mutants getting together and terraforming the entire planet of Mars and taking it over. Of course. Yes. (laughs) All in like the span of like 20 minutes or something to just kind of show off how crazy of a feat they can do. That was pretty awesome. We did it again the second year. And then again, as I mentioned, we did it for the third time at the end of July this year, and they intended to be this wonderful party. But unfortunately, that's also where their greatest enemies strike and um, do some really, really, really unpleasant things. So thankfully, really unpleasant things did not happen at the real one at St. David Comic-Con. So many fans came dressed as exactly the versions of the characters that we drew into those books. These entirely new, awesome, high fashion designs from all three years, including from the third one, which hasn't even come out yet. They saw the preliminary covers and the designs that we'd released and went, I'm gonna make that costume before the book ever comes out and go to a giant party dressed up as it. It was mind-blowingly awesome. The full circle nature of that, creating a character in a character's look, and then someone shows up dressed as it. What was the best X-Men cosplay that you saw? Oh, so many. Well, the one that was pretty amazingly impressive to me was this woman came dressed as Rasputin, this character Rasputin 4, who is a relatively new character. And again, she's only gone to one gala, the one that came out 
the week after the real gala happened. So she was dressed as her and she's a character who has metal skin like Colossus does. So she was painted up silver. Every part of her you could see. The dress was amazing. That's a dress designed by Jamie McKelvey, I believe. It was so astonishing. There was a ton of Emma Frosts from every single year, I think. All of them looked amazing. So many cool ones. Jean Grey's current one from Russell Dodderman from this year looked amazing. Cyclops from last year was amazing. But if I had to pick a favorite, it was the Rasputin, because I never would have expected to see her. And she nailed it. She pulled off the look perfectly. Cool. I can't help but just be in awe. I love how much you light up talking about all this. And it really feels like you were totally in your element there at Comic-Con. I heard also that you sat on a panel called Designing the X-Men. So kind of furthering what you were talking about right now about the fans, what do you learn about X-Men fans or what surprises you when you get the chance like Comic-Con to be right up there close and personal and get to talk to them? My theory is that this connects back to what we were talking about, about the mutant metaphor. There's a lot of X-Men characters, right? If you just kind of broaden it a little bit to say characters from X-Men in general, not necessarily the ones who are in the roster of the team right up front, there are no kidding, probably hundreds, right? Of like mutant superhero characters, let's say, from the X-Men office. And because we do so many stories about the mutant metaphor, a real effort has been made over the years going way back to really broaden and diversify those characters so that they do present a real large spectrum of people of all types from the whole world. And I think as part of that, what I have learned is that every single one of them, every single one of them, no matter how minor a character where you're like, they appeared in like two issues, they have incredibly passionate fans, every single one. And I think partly that has to do with the fact that because there is that breadth of backgrounds in those characters, almost any reader can find someone that they can identify with very personally. They become extremely attached to them, which sometimes is a little scary when you're doing things like we just did in the Hellfire Gala and going, oh, we're going to have to put some of them through the ringer. Like some of them are going to suffer badly. The fans can take it very personally, but hopefully they understand it's part of a story and the characters are always going to be, well, in order to rise, you have to fall, that sort of thing, right? So it blows me away how passionate the fans are about even the smallest characters, even the smallest characters that I would think no one is a fan of that character. Oh, they are. They are. (laughs) I love it. So shifting gears just a little bit, the final comic of the X-23 Deadly Regenesis miniseries was just released. Mm Mm-hmm. We all remember Daphne Keene playing X-23 in the film Logan. So since there are clearly more stories for her character in the comics, would you like to see a movie about X-23 as much as us? Absolutely. Absolutely. That was an amazing film. I will say, I don't know if my reaction to that film was the normal one, but first of all, I loved it. But I spent so much of that movie just like crying because of the violence, not because I am upset about violence in films, but it was gut-wrenching violence. It was like this terrible violence that this poor girl has to experience. And it was just so well done and emotionally gut-wrenching. So yeah, absolutely. You know, we're happy to have Laura in the X-Books. In the X-Books, we've had her eventually shed the moniker X-23 and become just another Wolverine. So there's just two Wolverines. There's Logan. It does mean once in a while, it's a little confusing to talk about. And we do end up in our office going Logan Wolverine and Laura Wolverine every once in a while. But we've used her a ton and we love telling stories with her. So there is so many more stories they could tell with her in the films. And I'd love to watch them. 
I totally agree with you. I loved Logan so much, but I was really like, to your point, kind of like, what is happening? But I also was <laughs> along for the ride and yep. I can't help but adore the name X23 and you are on the D23 podcast right now. Of course. Come on, Jordan. Come on, Jordan. So well, you have to do an X23 versus D23 crossover where, where she is. <laughs> <laughs> Look at you. I don't know what she would do. Try to target you. And that's not good. Maybe that's not a good idea. No offense. I don't <laughs> think you guys stand a chance. I'm so sorry to say that. <laughs> You know what? We celebrate all fans, even X23, however she wants to celebrate her fandom, hopefully for G23. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm sure she would not come after you. It's, I'm so sorry. <laughs> but yeah, speaking of D23, we're fans of so many things here. And you know what? We know you are too. You've also been editor of the Star Wars comic line for Marvel. How big of a Star Wars fan are you? And have to imagine it's a pretty important thing for the comics editor to know. <laughs> Absolutely. That's another thing that has been a part of my life since I was born. I don't remember the first time I saw the original Star Wars. I just always remember knowing it. It's been such a wonderful thing to be part of. They actually told me that I was going to be editing the Star Wars comics. It hadn't been announced that they were coming back to Marvel yet. They took me into an office and told me that on the day before I went on a trip to Disney World. So it was an incredibly exciting trip. And I was like, absolutely like looking at all the Star Wars merchandise. Because again, this was maybe, I don't know, a year and a half before The Force Awakens came out, maybe a little bit more. Being part of that launch was a huge thrill. I loved all the folks at Lucasfilm that we worked with. It was so great to be able to talk to them about how Marvel does comics, our philosophy of how we tell Marvel comic stories and how that can fit together with Star Wars and to pitch those books. One of the writers who's currently writing X-Men, Kieran Gillen, he's writing Immortal X-Men, did the Darth Vader series with me that we launched at the top of that. And that was absolutely an astonishingly great run. It's the run that gave us Dr. Afra, who is continues to be an extremely popular character to this day. It's that run that gave us Black Kersantan, who got to show up in the Boba Fett show. It was so cool to be able to contribute to Star Wars. And honestly, I do miss it. I love X-Men, but I do miss it too, because I feel like working on the Star Wars comics, I was already a huge Star Wars fan. Working on the comics made me more of a fan. I absolutely love checking out everything that comes out with Star Wars since then. So so it is a little bittersweet because I'm like, oh, I, I kind of miss doing those books. <laughs> So putting your role as editor aside and speaking solely as a fan, I'm sure mm -hmm. you get this question a lot. Who is your all-time favorite of the X-Men characters? As with so many things, it does go back to when I first fell for them. And so it would still be Kitty Pride, who was one of the main stars of that Excalibur run. Honestly, all of the core original Excalibur members are probably my like top five, but she was my favorite of those. Back then, she was a like teenage genius who was hacking computers back in the early 80s when that was barely a thing and, you know, doing all sorts of crazy stuff like that, had a pet dragon and her power of being able to walk through walls is super fun and cool and walk on air at the same time. We've done a ton of cool stuff with her since then. I think when I came onto the X-Men, she was kind of the leader of the X-Men and kind of the headmistress of the Xavier School, or maybe they called it the Jean Grey School at the time. I, I, the names changed a bunch over the years. I can't remember which it was at that moment. But since then, we've done some really nutty things with her. On Krakoa, we made her a pirate captain. <laughs> Naturally, yeah. They grew this X-Men technology where they had these plant-based gates that teleporting gates. So any mutant could walk through them and travel like a zillion miles in one step. 
but something about her powers interfered with it and she couldn't she would walk right into them and slam her face on them like it's a wall writer again writer jerry duggan who's currently writing x-men was like i want to have that happen to her and so as a result in order to get to krakoa she has to use a boat and in order to get around to all the places, she has to keep using a boat. So she became the lead of the captain of, of the ship called the Marauder in a series called the Marauders, which we absolutely loved. And now we're putting her in another change because of the terrible things that happened at the Hellfire Gala at the end of July. We have already shown that she's going to be going through another change and falling back into her ninja training and go back to being called Shadowcat. And she has a new costume designed by amazing artist Peach Momoko and looks like an incredibly badass ninja. So yeah, that change is just happening now. And it's really, really fun. Awesome. We love so much that you're an ultimate fan of all things X-Men. But you know what? We've talked about it. It's beyond that. You've done so much with Marvel from X-Men and Star Wars to even Hulk. Hercules and Deadpool, taking into account your entire history with the company, plus your overall lifetime fandom, what oh. would you say is your favorite Marvel memory? Oh, gosh, that's a really hard one. <laughs> that's a really hard one. I mean, there's so many things I'm so proud of. I'm so proud of the entire run I did as editor on Deadpool it was so, so fun. Being part of the creation of the character Gwenpool, who is this kind of weird sort of Deadpool spinoff, but who breaks the fourth wall in a very different way was super, super fun. Oh, here's a good one. This one goes right back to the very beginning of my time at Marvel, but has thankfully lasted a long time. And it makes me very happy, which is, I'm not sure if you know this, but the Marvel universe as portrayed in the comics is often referred to by fans as Earth 616. This is a fact that goes back to Captain Britain and Excalibur. It was a thing I think Alan Moore first started doing in, in his run on Captain Britain. He's a very famous writer, if you don't know. And his run on Captain Britain. And then they talked about it a bunch in Excalibur. They would call that Captain Britain, Captain Britain 616. And those comics all being kind of, you know, cult classics that comic fans really love that spread throughout and everybody started calling it Earth 616. So one of the first comics I worked on was New Exiles, also written by Chris Claremont. And... We had a letters page in that series, and we did a classic X bit, which is uh, we had the, the characters of the book answering the letters in the letters page. In real life, it was me answering the letters because I was the assistant editor on the book, but I was doing it in character as the characters from the series. Exiles is a series about reality hopping characters. So we were using Earth numbers all the time, like going like, oh, they jump off to Earth, blah, 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 Earth, blah, blah, blah. Someone wrote in and asked about our world, the world that you and I are currently actually physically in having this podcast right now. And I looked it up and I was shocked to find it hadn't officially been numbered. And I was like, how can this be? And so I got to number our reality and I named our earth, earth 1218. It has been maintained. It's in other comics because if it's honestly just appearing in a letters page isn't enough, but eventually it showed up in other comics and in other things. So it is earth 1218, which is named after my birthday, which is December 18th. <laughs> oh, cool. <laughs> that is true. Mutant magic. Should we say that? Sure. Mutant metaphor, mutant magic. Let's do it. <laughs> oh my gosh, Jordan, thank you so much for the time today. It's been an absolute joy just to hear all of the excitement and the passion. And you're the mind that's fueling so many of these amazing things that fans are loving all over the world, as we talked about. I think, thank you so much for joining us. It's a pleasure to talk to you. 
I really enjoyed that interview, you guys. That was so much fun. Jordan, you can tell, is a true fan through and through. Oh, my gosh. He needs to also do an encyclopedia because I was learning so much from him. Oh, my gosh. Right? Truly. Yep. Yeah, the mutant metaphor thing really stuck with me. I think that was really, really cool. Speaking of cool things... It's time for five fantastic things to watch this weekend. Presented by State Farm. For complete details, visit d23.com. Remember, like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. All right, first up, we had Reservation Dogs. Season three premiere, already has happened, is now streaming on Hulu. This season, the Res Dogs find themselves stranded in California and must figure out a way to get back home. I'll tell you what I'm excited about. Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3 is now streaming on Disney+. Plus. I really loved this movie, and I am so excited to check it out on Disney+. Plus. There's going to be a lot of rewatching for me. <laughs> in Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3, our beloved band of misfits are settling into life on nowhere. But it isn't long before their lives are upended by the echoes of Rocket's turbulent past. This is really emotional, you guys. I promise you, you're going to love it. It's just everything and more. I'm excited. I didn't get to see them in the theater, so I will be sitting down in front of my TV. You're going nice. to love it, Courtney. It was great. Now streaming on Hulu, The Croods, Family Tree. All episodes are now streaming on Hulu. The Croods and the Bettermans return in Season 7 with more misadventures on the farm, where Eat must choose between making her cookie family proud or disrupting the balance of the crudable kingdom forever. I love The Croods. I can't wait to watch all of that. Ms. Next up, Ms. Marvel. The first three episodes are airing on ABC beginning at 8 p.m. on August 5th. The series introduces Kamala Khan, a Muslim-American teenager growing up in Jersey City. An avid gamer and a voracious fan fiction scribe, Kamala is a superhero mega fan with an oversized imagination, particularly when it comes to Captain Marvel. I love this show. I love the first season, and I'm so excited to see her in the Marvels. That's going to be amazing. You do. You fall in love with her. She's you really do. Great energy. Great energy. What else has great energy? The show Bunked. Oh, yeah. Bunked. New episode's <laughs> going to be on Disney Channel at 8.30 p.m. on August 6th. Back for another exciting summer at the sometimes struggling Camp Kikiwaka in rural Maine are the enthusiastic camp owner slash director Lou and several returning counselors and campers all ready to tackle new and hilarious adventures. And I believe this is one of the longest running Disney Channel shows ever. So quite the legacy here. I did not know that. Very interesting. Very yeah. cool fun fact there, Hunter. Well, thanks again for listening to D23 Inside Disney. Don't forget to like and share this episode wherever you listen or subscribe. And if you want to chat with us, hashtag D23 Inside Disney. And for all the latest Disney info, check out D23.com. We'll be back soon with another fantastic guest on an all new episode of D23. Inside, Inside Disney. Disney.